Good morning. Glad you're here this morning. We are in the second week of a message series that we've titled Identity. So you can guess the topic, the subject matter is related to identity. Identity is who I am at the core of my being. We, we have a primary identity. And I walked through the advantages last week of grounding our identity in our maker. And what happens when we do that is we're provided with a solid bedrock foundation that allows benefits to flow from that choice like a river as we live that out. But trouble erupts when we try to take a secondary piece of identity and make it our core identity. Uh, Secondary pieces of identity I talked about last week are things related to family, uh, husband, wife, son, daughter, parent. Others can be related to work. I have a position at work or I do a certain kind of work and that you know, all of these things play into our identity, rightly so, a hobby, a sport, a special interest, a cause, uh, our sexual orientation, a diagnosis that we receive. These things are secondary to our primary identity. Um, they, they relate to roles that we play, or sometimes we're, we choose a label. We decide this is This is what we're about, and we put a label on ourselves, or someone gives us a label, and then that begins to play into our identity as well. Um, In order for a label that we've been given to impact us, we we have to absorb it. So we, we can reject those labels that aren't really right and good for us, but uh, they can become a faulty part of our core, however we, we get them. When you put those kinds of things, the secondary pieces of identity, at the core, we crumble. And I, I don't know why, but I picture Iron Man. You know, he's got that thing right here that kind of glows. If it, I could, you know, it's never happened in the movie yet, but it could implode. And if we put the wrong things at the core, they can implode. They can crumble and trouble erupt. My my main struggle, I just thought I'd just throw this out there in full disclosure. My my main struggle with a secondary piece of identity has been related to family life, particularly being being a dad uh, for my kids. Family is something that God... He really wants us to enjoy it, and it's definitely a priority, but it's not designed to be the core. Um, When my son Thad began to play Little League Baseball, it was an explosive combination of family and sports for me. (laughs) Um, I was a baseball player when I was a teenager. It was very close to my core identity, very hard to separate those two things, being a baseball player and someone who's made by God in his image and loved by him as well. So the problem showed up when I began to coach Thad in Little League. 
I would get way too into it in the games. And I would end up having to get forgiveness for arguing with umpires and things like that. What should have been an enjoyable pastime tied me up in knots. And that's not good. That's, that's what happens when we take a secondary piece of identity and it starts finding its way into the core. We, we get twisted up in knots. Now, I wish I could say that I did better when my daughter played soccer. Not, not so much. So there seemed to be a, a theme to my problem here. Um, but that's a fight. It's, I, being a dad was too close to the core at times. And I, I had to, thankfully, I could go to God. I could talk it out with him. I, I, read, I stayed in Scripture constantly. And, and that kept me focused on my real core identity. And so I was able to unwind the twists and the knots and the things that I did and said. I was able to unwind those because I kept walking with the Lord through those things, through those times. Today, we're going to discover more about our core identity as a Christ follower. And if you're not yet a follower of Christ, I hope, I hope this will, I'm going to try to make sense to you of what, what Peter, one of the closest followers of Christ, is saying about our identity in him. If we keep coming back to who we are before God, and we grow in our understanding of our identity from his angle, we thrive. Last week, we looked at the first two verses of the book Peter wrote, and we saw the name that he gave us, elect exiles, is what he called us. We're chosen by God, and we're exiles. We're, an exile is someone who's temporary, a temporary resident in a foreign land. So we're exiles. Th- this whole earth is foreign because our home is in heaven. This, this is, we're only here for a little while. That, that should shape our perspective and our identity. And that's a sermon in itself, those two words right there. We talked about that last week. It, it shows God's love for us. And for a Christ follower, it should really shape our self-concept at, at the core. This morning, we're going to see how our identity reveals an inheritance we're destined to receive. Christ followers' promised inheritance should shape our attitudes and our approach to life. Um, here's how Peter said it. In the next verse, after the one we looked at last week, in 3 through 5, this is what he says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to reveal, to be revealed in the last time. Notice verse 3 says, This is praise to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has caused us 
to be born again. We, we're born again into God's family. Now, <clears throat> that's a label that's given to Christ followers today sometimes, born again, born again Christian. Uh, it's gone through varying uh, seasons, we'll say, in our culture, some of which it's like it's, it's a label that was given and sort of derisive uh, label. You're a born-again Christian, you know, a BAC, not good. Um, but the phrase born-again is only used twice in the New Testament, and both times in this chapter that we're walking through here. And what's interesting is, I think one of the reasons it was used here is because Jesus was listening, I mean, uh, Peter was listening in on a conversation that Jesus had with a man named Nicodemus, who was a ruler of uh, the Jewish people in Jesus' day. And Nicodemus came to Jesus, had a question about the kingdom of God, and Jesus said, basically, you must be born again to enter the kingdom of God and find eternal life. So you have to be born again. And of course, you know, if, if somebody said that to you just, you know, at the office one day, what are you going to do? You're going to have more questions. Either you're going to think, okay, he's nuts, or you're going to follow it up with some questions. And so Jesus and Nicodemus have this back and forth conversation and it ends with you must believe in order to be born again and we're going to get into that word believe in the new testament in a little bit but this is where peter came up with the phrase born again it came out of that conversation i'm sure this was what was on his mind <clears throat> john 3:16 one of the the verses in scripture that that almost almost everyone who's ever been exposed to the bible knows about in our country is there for god so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him shall have eternal life so that was the conversation between jesus and nicodemus and he says, you've you got to be born again to have eternal life. And the way you're born again is you believe in Jesus Christ. When a person decides to follow Christ, they entrust their entire life to him. And they're born again. You're born into God's family. His spirit begins to live in you. And he begins to change you. He, he becomes a part of your core identity and he begins to change you from the core outward. This, this is a real advantage of being a follower of Christ. Physically, we're born and we get strong for a while. And then we start, there's a tipping point, And then we start tapering off. Not quite sure I'm getting closer to the tipping point. And maybe I am. Okay, I'm probably past it. I saw a look on someone's face just now. Yeah, Randy, deal with it. You're past it. <laughs> You're past the tipping point. Yes, that is true now that you mention it. Um, so we hit it, to, and it, it, we gradually get weaker and weaker. But 
the resources that the Holy Spirit provides in us, they keep growing stronger as we learn to make ourselves, make them available to us, as we learn to tap into the resources of the Holy Spirit within us, we get stronger and stronger and stronger. And that is the very thing that helps us do family life in a way that pleases God and blesses our family. It's the way that we live out our work life in a way that helps the company accomplish its goals and helps the people around us be blessed by the work we're doing on the team. It's, it's, it's that core walk with the Lord Jesus Christ that begins to change everything we do. It, it makes a major difference in us. We're not all twisted up in our roles. We're not all twisted up by being a mom or a dad or a... a a boss or an employee or a friend or a neighbor. We're not all twisted up by those things because, and we'll see how this works a little later on. Hopefully I remember to get there. It's not in my notes, but I'm going to try to come back to this. And because it's, it's as we're walking with, with Jesus through our day that he's helping us figure out the right way to treat our family, the right way to live at work, the right way to relate to our friends, and the right way to uh, handle our relationships with our neighbors. And you see, we're not in it. He's above it. He's not in. He's not in it in the same way we are. So we don't get twisted up as we check in with him to see what he says about living life in a certain way. So. What's interesting here is when we're born physically, we have nothing to do with that, do we? Nothing. We don't make it happen. It's the same with spiritual birth. We don't have anything to do with it. God is the one who makes it all happen. It happens as we make the choice to believe. We believe. Which means to trust Jesus with our whole life and make him boss. We repent. We're going our own way and we do a 180, turn around, go God's way and we because we believed in him. And once we believe in him, a seed is planted in us that begins to grow and bear all kinds of fruit that's really good. So we can't step over this step. And, and experience the good things that God has for us. We, we can't skip past it and receive the blessings of being a child of God. This is how you become a child of God. You have to be born again. This is what Jesus was explaining to Nicodemus. And Nicodemus and all, he had a, a he really knew religion. Okay, and so Jesus was trying to get his attention, throw out a little potato chip. They couldn't just eat one. He, he said, you got to be born again, and kept asking questions, got curious about it, and then found out what it means. If, if you follow Christ, you've experienced this new birth. And the best way to bless your family and friends 
is to introduce them to Jesus Christ as well so they can experience that new birth. This is what it's all about. Anyone who comes to him can have Jesus' help and blessing, and it opens a whole treasure trove of good stuff for those who keep following him. So there's more. When we're born again into God's family, we receive an indestructible inheritance. The inheritance is waiting for us in eternity, and that's our motivation to please God today. Imagine how your attitude and approach to life would change if you knew for sure you were going to receive an inheritance 10 years from this date. A, a, a big one. It would take care of all your... How, how would that shift your thinking toward your financial worries? How would it shift your thinking toward any other kinds of anxiety? You knew this was coming. It would shift. Our inheritance in heaven can strengthen our lives today and help us choose the best attitude and approach to all kinds of difficulty. That's what we're going to look at today, how that inheritance in the future can really help us today. If you or I know it's all going to be okay in the future, we're not tied to our circumstances in the same way. We're experiencing them But we're not counting on our circumstances to give us more than they are going to give. Verse 4 says, our inheritance is imperishable, it's indestructible. It will not lose its value in any way, not like the stock market this week. Yeah, sorry to bring that up. (laughs) Um, It's undefiled. It's never going to spoil. I love pears, but I cannot take I'll just take one bite of a spoiled pear, a mealy, spoiled, yucky pear, and that's it. It's done. Not going to do that. Our inheritance will be unspoiled, undefiled. That's that's what he's saying here. And unfading. Some of my favorite shirts have faded in color, and they're just not, I just don't look forward to wearing them anymore. You know, I'm not really a clothes horse, but... Some might argue with that, but I'm just not excited about wearing faded shirts unless they're intended to be faded. They're worn out. The prize of heaven God has for us, he's saving it for us. He's guarding it for us. It's certain. So it's our future reward that motivates us to please God today. One of the benefits of digging into the scripture, into the Bible, is the opportunity to adopt a radically different perspective on life. And it, it brings hope as we face trials right now. Uh, here's a headline I ran across the other day. The homeless brothers who inherited more than 100 million euros. Euros are worth, I don't know, last time I checked, slightly more than, than a dollar. So a hundred million, these guys were homeless. Two brothers. Think about for a moment the struggle for survival that these guys were having for maybe a couple of decades. I don't know, maybe one decade. Think about how very real I'm sure that was. They were trying to figure out if they were going to survive 
And then they receive this massive inheritance. What, what do you think, how do you think that would affect their attitude and approach to life if they knew about that the day before? I could last a day through this. I can hang with this. How about 10 years? Now, it's a little harder 10 years back to hold on to that thought as you're struggling with hunger and different things, different needs that you have. But, wow, that's, that's what Peter's trying to say here is our inheritance that is indestructible is the very thing that motivates us to please God today. The impact of that inheritance that God's holding for us is the same. We, we have a sure inheritance, but if we don't keep it in mind as we live each day, it's no help. Peter goes on to show that if we put our hope in our inheritance, it will be a real help to us right now as we handle the trials and tests of each day. The question is, what are you putting your hope in? Where's your hope? If your hope is tied to something here, your circumstances, then buckle up and strap on the shoulder harness because you're going on an emotional roller coaster. If something else besides God, the fact that he's made you, the fact that he loves you, if something else is at the core of your identity, buckle up. It's going to be a wild ride. But if we can walk with the Lord Jesus and understand what he's doing through the trouble we face... What an advantage. Going back to identity, whenever we make a secondary source of identity primary, we start drilling holes in the foundation. The cracks start showing up in the foundation of our life, and our footing gets very, very unstable. Christ followers' identity in Christ at the core is that we are God's child. He's made us so. We, we didn't cause this to happen. The Father has caused us to be born again. This is out of his love and grace to us. And that's a part of our core identity. We're God's children and heirs to an unbelievable inheritance that we can, can't even imagine. If we lose sight of who we are, if we lose sight of this inheritance, we get ran over by the trials of life. They just flatten us. First Peter shows us that a firm grip on our identity makes us strong. Look at verse uh, 6 through 9. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, I, I want to pay attention to this, this passage right here because I want to call attention to some. Did you notice the result of a faith that's been tested and found genuine? It results in praise, honor, 
and, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So when we see Christ, we're going to be commended. That's, that's what we live for. We live for that day that we move from this life on into eternity and we stand before the living God. And he says, well done. Kids long for the approval of their parents. I remember commending my kids and watching them be strengthened by it. I, I, could, I could see it. It was so tangible I could almost touch the strength that was going into their spirit when I would commend them for something that they'd done well. This, this is the same kind of thing that God wants us to experience as we live our lives today. We live for the day when we hear him praise us for standing up to the test. So when we're in the fire, when we're going through the trials, our identity instructs us as to how we're to respond. We've been born into God's family. And we live to please our Father. Verse 6 points out that we'll be grieved for a little while here on earth. We should expect that. The Bible's very clear. Jesus said, hey, you guys are going to have trouble here on this, world, in this, on this earth, in this world. But we are elect exiles, chosen expats, who are temporary residents here. Add to that fact that we're born again to be God's children, and so we want to please Him. This, this is our motivation. Trouble is an inescapable part of our life. It's, our life is marked with grief. But this life on earth is not all there is. It's not the end. Peter's saying, if you're in Christ, then you have an inheritance that is eternal, kept in heaven for you. That's your living hope. So even, even grief from trials has a purpose with God. I mean, the, the, this, is, this is one of the advantages that flows from our identity as a follower of Christ. E- even grief has a purpose. He's refining us. Just as gold is refined under the heat of the fire, God's refining us through the struggles of this life. And he's preparing us for the joys of the next. The hope of heaven is what brings stability to life here and now. But if we lose sight of eternity, if we live our life in the context of this life only, then we crumble under the weight of our grief. This doesn't mean that you shouldn't grieve. We grieve. There are a couple passages in the Bible that talk about grieving, but we don't grieve as those who do not have hope. We grieve. We get upset. Peter's just saying that our grief leads us through the refining purposes of God. And the trouble isn't a waste. I, I wish I had an answer to all the pain that I've faced. I wish I had an answer for you to all the pain that you've faced, all the questions that come up. But I trust that God will not waste any of it. And if I need to know the answer to those questions in the next life, I'll get them. If I don't, I may not care anymore about the answers to those questions. 
So Peter goes on to explain, and this is, okay, now I remember I'm going to come back to what I said earlier. So yeah, it's pretty good. I remember it. It's, that doesn't always happen. I'm, I'm getting old, remember? I'm, I'm, at the t- I'm past the tipping point. <clears throat> Peter goes on to explain how we can find joy in life right now, even in the middle of our trials. He says this, though you have not seen him, you love him. He's talking about Jesus Christ. Though you do not see him, do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible, leaves you speechless. You can't put it into words and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. These verses tell us that our joy isn't only anchored in the future. It can be experienced today. And the way that you experience that joy that is there for those who have such a future hope is by walking with Lord Jesus today. We do that by getting into the Word, the Bible, by listening to Him speak to us through it, by praying and talking to Him, but particularly by obeying Him. John fourteen twenty one. it's not on the screen, but... It, It says, whoever has my commands and obeys them, he it is who loves me. This is how you love Jesus. (laughs) It's not not an emotional, ooey-gooey love. All the guys in the room are grateful for that. Um, It's it's an obedient love. We love him by showing obedience. And then Jesus says, uh, he, he is the one who loves me, who obeys, and I will show myself to him. My Father will show himself to them, those who obey. So this is how we love him. This is how we're strengthened through the trials. As we continually get perspective on them from Jesus himself as his Holy Spirit speaks to us through the scriptures and through the word of God as we get into it. The word believe in this passage, I think I also promised to get into it a little more. Um, it literally means to rest one's confidence in. You know, you ever gone through a team building event? You know, maybe at work or some other group of people where you have a team building event and there's this trust fall where you're, you know, you're supposed to just, I'm not going to do it right now, but... You're just supposed to just let yourself fall back, and the team is supposed to catch you. And that builds trust, team building. We have to have trust to be on a team. Um, that's the idea here. You, you rest your confidence in Jesus Christ and what he said in Scripture. And, and every time, he holds you up. When you, when you decide to follow Jesus, this is what you do with your life. You put your entire life in his hands. You trust him. You do what he says. And as you do that, you experience that joy because you're, wow. It, it's, it's almost always backwards from our native re- reflexes, what Jesus tells us to do. We have these native reflexes. They would go one way. He tells us to go another way. 
And if we choose to obey him, then we experience the joy because we're like, wow, this is what life was meant to be. And we do that because we, we want to please God. This is a major shift. When you decide to follow Christ, you basically stop trying to do life on your own terms. And you settle in to do life Jesus' way. And it's a fight. We keep battling. We keep battling to put other things at the core. A Christian someone who stops going their own way, does a 180 and turns toward God. And he has done everything he needed to do so that we could be born again. We, we couldn't do it. Jesus himself became a man, took on flesh, lived a perfect life. He, he pulled off what none of us could have done on our own power, lived a perfect life. And then he became our substitute. He died in our place. He took all of the sin and gave his life to pay that price for us. And then he begins to change you and I from the inside out, from the core of our being outward. So we walk with him daily, get into scripture Read it and realign our ways, our words and our actions and our thoughts with the way he thinks. We pray and talk to God who's listening. We connect with his body, the church, and aim to fulfill his mission for us. And this is what changes us. The, it says, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The way that's written in the Greek, it sounds like this is the way you earn your salvation. But in the Bible, uh, salvation is an event that takes place in the past. It's also an event that you begin, you experience more and more of as you live your life, as the Holy Spirit begins to change you. And then we realize it in the future when we receive the inheritance. This is, this is a reference to the fact that as you love Jesus, you obey him you begin to experience more and more of the salvation that is being held for us in eternity. So that's the idea. Um, I have some next steps to suggest to you. The first one is, uh, for the first time, accept Jesus as my Savior and make him my Lord or boss. If you've never done that, you have all the answers that you need to your questions about what that means, then I'd encourage you to, to mark that next step and let us know. We'd love to help you with that. Um, another step would be ask God to help you to respond to a trial with joy. <clears throat> ask Jesus to walk through it with you. Invite him into it. Ask him how you should respond. Get in the scripture. Find out. And then another step would be Spend time growing my love for Christ by reading his word. Now, I want to suggest reading 1 Peter 1 again, uh, where he gives us a picture of our inheritance so we don't lose sight of it. We, we can see it. We can see what's going on there. Um, last week, I, before I pray and step off the stage, last week I mentioned and an announced a move for Church of Valley Diamond Bar um, 
Two and a half years ago, we started building an expansion fund. And uh, our intent was, after 28 years of existing as a church body, uh, God's led us to start this fund. And our intent was to find something more permanent, a location uh, to, to be that was more permanent, um, to buy or lease something. And in that process, God has shown us the opportunity in Ontario Ranch, in the Ontario area. Uh, 47, I mentioned this last week, 47,000 homes are being built, 150,000 new residents are moving in. When people change, it's interesting, I just read a I read a brief on a book about transitions. And what happens in transitions as people are trying to make the transition and dealing with the changes, they, they get more open to seeking God. This is an opportunity. If we move out there, then we're going to be in the middle of most of our members and attenders. We're going to be right in the center where we're moving. So... Uh, this is a real opportunity for us. Uh, we're going to move to Woodcrest Junior High School. Uh, it's on campus right near Euclid, close to the 60 freeway. And in this brief that I read on this book on transitions, it says, it's not the change that's the problem. It's the transition. <laughs> that's the problem. Um, there's an ending to something, so we're ending our time here. I'm incredibly grateful for our time in Dimabar. I'm in, very grateful for this place. It's been very useful to us. I am so glad. And, and we're grieving. I mean, there's, there's a, an ending, so we're grieving uh, over that. <clears throat> and then we're going to be in between. We're going to move to this new place the week before Easter. That, that, you know, Easter is a big celebration for us. That doesn't give us a whole lot of time to get settled in. So we're going to feel, it's going to feel a little awkward, somewhat uncomfortable. Um, it's, it's not going to feel like home. This feels like home to me. I'm used to this. I'm used to getting up here, looking out here. You guys probably are used to looking up at me. Sorry about that. <laughs> um, but anyway, there's going to be an in-between. We're going to have to get used to it. But then we'll settle in, and we'll be able to focus on our new beginning. It's a tremendous opportunity that God has given us. And I just wanted to mention that again. And we want to, we want to celebrate what God's done and thank him for what he's done here and look forward to the new beginning once we get to the place where we can do that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your kindness to us. We thank you for causing us to be born again. And all that that means for us, God, we are so grateful for that. And I pray that you'd put it on our hearts to, if we know you, if we walk with you, if we're Christ followers, to share that with those around us. That's the best thing we can do for them. And I pray that you'd move us, God, to... Uh, serve you in this way and serve the people around us by helping them come to know you as well. We praise you and honor you. We thank you for the opportunity in Ontario Ranch, and I pray that you'd walk through this time with us as we get settled. 
in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.